Good morning, Hammock Street Church. Good morning to those who are watching online. My name is Jarvis Coyote, and I have uh, the pleasure of speaking God's word with you guys this morning. So I'm excited to, uh, to jump in. Some of you guys might have showed up a little bit late, or you might have joined online just a little bit late, and you're probably expecting Pastor Russell, and you might have thought, wow, he had a really good Memorial Day weekend. He got a little bit younger, he got a little bit darker over the weekend. I want what he's having. So, But no, thank you, uh, Pastor Russell, for the opportunity, and so I'm really excited to, to be with you guys this morning. Um, as we jump in, I want to give you guys a little background about myself. So I uh, grew up in the great state of uh, Massachusetts, so I am a classic snowboard, snowbird, just like the rest of you guys. And so I grew up there, left home when I was 18, went to school down in Virginia, a school called Liberty University, and studied aeronautics there. Um, then around the time of my sophomore or junior year of college, I really felt the Lord calling me to ministry and what that looked like. And so I didn't really know what that looked like, and so I met a pastor up in West Palm Beach, Florida, and he was like, come down for a summer. It's West Palm Beach. Why wouldn't you come down to South Florida for a summer? There's free housing. And so as a college student, why wouldn't I want to go down there? And so I went down there for an internship for a couple summers and absolutely loved it. And through those opportunities, I really found my love for ministry. I was a pastoral intern there and just finished up a two-year residency program at Family Church, and so I really love it, and so I really love what I'm doing here at Family Church. The most important thing about me, though, isn't all the liberty and family church and all the great stuff. It's awesome. It's great. It's actually my beautiful fiance here in the front row is Hannah here. And so, yeah, you can get up for Hannah. Absolutely. So Hannah and I are getting married August 18th. So 76 days, nine hours, couple minutes of some change. But who's counting? I'm not keeping track. But uh, so around that time, we'll be getting married. So really excited for that. But right now, we're going to have our Bible study. So if you have your Bible, take your Bibles out. You can turn your Bibles on on your devices. You can open up to the New Testament book of Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1 this morning. Uh, if you don't know where Nehemiah is, that's perfectly fine. It's going to be in the first third of your Bible. Don't be afraid to look in the table of contents. Nudge your neighbor next to you. Ask them where Nehemiah is. They'll, uh, they'll hopefully will have it there for you. But as you guys are flipping there, I want to give you guys a few reports. I want to give you guys some news on what's going on in the world today, if that's all right with you guys. So each day, Google processes 8.5 billion searches per day. Do you guys know that? 8.5 billion searches. And I can say with confidence that around 30 of those searches are coming directly from me. I can say that. And those searches are usually, can I put this in the microwave? Or the other search is, how do I spell the month of February? For some reason, I don't know, the U and the R kind of throw me off, and it confused me a little bit, but those are usually coming from me. Um, I couldn't find this statistic online, but I just, I just know it. But I would say that 99% of the people across the entire world think that pineapples do not belong on pizza. Am I right? Anyone in here doesn't believe that pineapples belong on pizza? I don't know. And there's one person who just really believes it, which kind of stamps the approval for me. It's actually Gordon Ramsay. He tweeted it, and he said that pineapple does not go on top of pizza. So if Gordon Ramsay said it, I can believe that it is true, especially when it comes to food. Let me give you guys a report on some things going on in our country. 93.6% of teenagers have had an increase of anxiety from April 2020 from April 2019. 
That's probably from the pandemic from COVID, right? There's been an increase in anxiety by 93.6%. Well, if I told you that from the, the Barna group, uh, give us a stat that 20% of millennials say that going to church is important. Only 20%, that's two in every 10 young millennial thinks that going to church is now important. Well, if I gave you guys a stat about the church here in America, that in 1972, 92% of Americans would say that they're Christian. But the Pew Report says that by 2070, that number will drop to below 50%. It'll get to a point to where that people who are now religiously unaffiliated, they will outweigh the amount of Christians that are in the country today. I don't know about you guys, but that news breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, and today we're going to learn about a guy named Nehemiah who also got some pretty tough news that broke his heart. And so the main idea for today is that when our hearts are aligned with God's heart, we are burdened by the same things he is. When our hearts are aligned with God's heart, we are burdened by the same things he is. Now, there might be some of you guys in the room who are, who are serious Christians. You guys are like the special forces of Christians, uh, the super serious Christians, and you guys have a great relationship with God, and I'm so glad you guys are here, and hopefully this message today encourages you. And there might be some people in the room today who are Christian-ish, you're kind of on the fence with Christianity, you believe most of it, but like you wouldn't really apply it to your life today. And there might be some of you guys in the room today who are not even Christians at all aren't even Christians yet. Maybe you came today to be polite to a friend, but wherever you are in your journey with God, hopefully this talk kind of spurs you on because the Bible has the power to do so. So with that being said, let's, uh, let's read Nehemiah chapter 1 together. All right, and this is the word of God. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Let's say that together, Hakaliah, but when you say it, say it with your throat. One, two, three, Hakaliah. Good, good. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in uh, the month of Kislev, which is like in the winter months, so like November, December, uh, in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exiles in great trouble and shame, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down, I wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that have commanded your servant Moses. Remember, 
the word that you've commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're outcasts and in your uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of the servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant daily, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. God, help us see what burdens your heart. Open our hearts so we can learn from you today, Lord. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now, before we get started on Nehemiah, it's important that we get the context of what's happening in Nehemiah. How do we get to Nehemiah? How do we get to <clears throat> this point in God's story? Right? And so the book of Nehemiah is what's called a historical book. Now, you might be thinking, Jarvis, the whole Bible is a historical book. It was written years ago. Understandable, yes, but there are a bunch of different genres in the, in the book of the Bible. And so this book was actually part of the Hebrew Bible, which is a Tanakh. And the book of Nehemiah, as you can see here on the screen, uh, you see Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of there together. Right, and so back in the, in the years ago, back in the Hebrew Bible, it was actually, the Hebrew Bible was Ezra and Nehemiah. They're actually written together as one book. And so the book's... Nowadays, the Bible nowadays has them separated, but the author wrote them together. And so when we look at the book of Nehemiah, we're kind of looking at part two of, <clears throat> uh, part two of Ezra, if that makes sense. And so in order for us to look at Nehemiah, it's important to kind of get a brief overview of what's happening in the book of Ezra. So I don't have time to give you the entire book of Ezra, but I'll give you a pretty good rundown of recently what happened in Ezra. So the book of Ezra talks about how God's people have spent 70 years in Babylon as slaves. 50,000 then returned to Jerusalem, right, because they were free. They were returned to Jerusalem to start over, fresh start. And then they were trying to build the temple for the Lord. But as they were building the temple, they faced great opposition. And so when they faced a great opposition, they might have just laid down the foundation. Then they kind of just gave up. They gave up, and then they began to settle in their homes, and they just forgot what the Lord wanted them to build. And so now, here we are in the book of Nehemiah. It's about 90 years later since the first group returned, and, like, the walls of Jerusalem and everything is completely ruined, right? And so when the walls are down, this pretty much leaves Jerusalem in a very, very vulnerable place, right? They're easy to be attacked and from the other countries, they're pretty much a laughing stock for the other countries. They can just enter whenever they want. They can attack whenever they want. The walls are down. They can do whatever. And so when the walls around the city stood for strength and protection, God needed someone who would be willing to rise to the occasion. And so he needed someone who was dedicated enough to even ask the Lord how he wanted him involved. And so that's what leads us to the man we're going to be talking about today. And his name is Nehemiah. 
And so we see in Nehemiah verse 1, we're introduced to this guy. His name is Nehemiah. We don't know much about Nehemiah, but there are a few scholars I've been reading that, uh, that talk about Nehemiah, talk about his height. And so a lot of them have believed that Nehemiah was about knee-high. All right, sounds good. I was told at least one joke in there that was, you know, just a pity laugh, and that was my one. So there's that. I'll get that out the way. But he was, uh, there's Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah is actually Hebrew for Nehemiah. And so that means Jehovah comforts, right? And so God's people need strengthening and encouraging. And so maybe some of you are sitting in the room right now, and you just need some strengthening and some encouragement. And I'd love to encourage you by just saying that there is a Nehemiah out there. And there is a Jehovah, there is a God who comforts, and he is there, and he is with you everywhere you go. And so Nehemiah, we saw in verse 1 that he lived in Susa, which is the capital city of the Persians. And he lived in Citadel, which is pretty much this fortified place uh, of the Persians. And so we know that based off of that, that Nehemiah was a pretty important guy. And Nehemiah was living with some pretty important people. And so at the end, verse 11, uh, we see there in this one random verse, that kind of doesn't fit in with the rest, but it says that Nehemiah held the position of a cupbearer. He was a cupbearer. Now, if we, if we go on LinkedIn today or we go on Indeed and we start looking for jobs and we just type in there, we try to type in cupbearer, can almost guarantee you, you won't find the position of cupbearer in there. But this position is very important because it shows why Nehemiah was so important. And so a cupbearer was historically, he was an officer of high rank in royal courts whose duty was to pour and serve drinks at the royal table. Well, doesn't sound too bad. That's kind of like A of the job description. Then there's like B of job descriptions. And so the king he just always felt like he was going to be attacked. And so there's always someone out there who was trying to kill the king. And so, like, it would be too obvious if they just came in with knives. And so they had to think of something smart. And so they start poisoning the king. They would put something in his food, maybe something in the king's wine. And so the role of the cupbearer was to drink the wine before the king, to eat the food before the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Isn't that a great job? Isn't that awesome? I mean, sacrifice just at its finest. I mean, you're just, every single time you drink something, you just, it might be poison and that would kill you. So that was, that was Nehemiah's job. And so when you have a job that closely working with the king, it kind of builds this confidential relations with the king. And so that's what made Nehemiah have such great influence. And so we also find later in the passage that uh, God granted Nehemiah a special burden under a uh, special burden understanding of the time and conditions in which uh, he lived and how we could have uh, a positive impact on God's kingdom. All right, so if you're taking notes today, here's some things we can learn from our text. Uh, our first point today is going to be that the person God uses has a burden for his people. The person that God uses has a burden for his people. See what it says in verse 2, it says, Nehemiah asked, And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And his brothers pretty much telling the news, and in verse 4 it says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. 
Now, whether you're here today or you're here online, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we all have something that burdens us. We all have something that burdens us. Okay, maybe it's a single parent. Maybe it's the foster care system. Maybe it's you have that neighbor who's living next to you that you're so close with, but they don't know Jesus yet, and they just have a huge burden on you. Maybe it's just a family member you just heard a, a bad diagnosis about, and it weighs on you. It puts a burden on you. And so when God lays this burden on Nehemiah's heart about the Jews, Nehemiah was, he was living the dream, right? Nehemiah, he was in the king's court. He was living it up. He was having great food. He was having filet mignon. He was having the best wine, right? Maybe some of us today, we're here. We're in Boca Raton, Florida. This is a beautiful place. We're in South Florida. We can go to the beach 24-7, even in December. Don't have that luxury in Massachusetts. But he made it, right? Nehemiah, he was there, right? So why would Nehemiah check in with his people back in Jerusalem? He didn't need them anymore. He was living a perfect life. I don't know about some of you guys, but when the Lord places something on your heart, when he places someone on your heart, you kind of just have to do it. You can't shake it. You can't stop thinking about it. You can't like, sleep at night. And you're wondering like, why you can't sleep at night. And it's probably, the Lord probably plays something on your heart. And this is where we see the obedience of Nehemiah, where he lived very far away uh, but from them, but he heard the news about God's people, and he wept, and he prayed for days. What would it look like if we had a burden for others? When we hear about other people's struggles, are we indifferent? How many times, as we as Christians, we sometimes will hear a prayer request from somebody, and maybe they've been rambling on forever and ever, telling us about this prayer request, and we just say, all right, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. But then forget about 10 minutes later. That's me. I've been there. But Nehemiah wept. Right, and this Hebrew word for rep, for wept is baha. Baha. I kind of think of it as like baha ha, I'm crying. And so that's kind of how I remember that Hebrew word wept. And it means to weep, bewail, to cry, to shed tears. So after seeing and hearing all the brokenness going on today, do we weep about it? Do we cry about it? Do we shed tears? Do we go on our knees to the God of the universe? who hears all our prayers. <clears throat> I'll be honest with you guys. I don't all the times. <clears throat> if you had to be honest with yourself, I don't think you guys do either. But the Bible says that we should mourn. We should mourn and be persistent about it. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed for days. And when I say he prayed for days, it wasn't just a quick prayer before the meal. It wasn't just praying for God just to bless my triple cheeseburger with extra grease and large fry with a large Coke, and hopefully all that just blesses my body and will never affect me. It wasn't those prayers, right? But he was praying. He was fasting, right? Fasting is just when you're giving up food or something else for a period of time to focus your thoughts on God. So while fasting, maybe people read the Bible, pray, can worship. And so we see this idea of fasting found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see it in the Bible over 50 times. Right, so if it's in the Bible over 50 times, it's probably important. So if it's important to God, it should be important to us. 
And so if we want our hearts aligned with God's heart, we must pray, must fast, read our Bible. Because Nehemiah spent a lot of time praying before the Lord. About it, he was searching for God's will about what he could do. Right, but the important part is that the man that God used to do something uh, not only heard about their need, also felt their need, and he just couldn't put it out of his mind. And so God used that burden that Nehemiah felt as a basis for action. And so God was going to use Nehemiah to do something about this situation. But first, God had to do something in Nehemiah. Any great work of God begins with God doing a great work in somebody. And so, wow, we want to do all these different things. We want to help change Boca Raton. We want to help change South Florida. It starts with God placing a burden on our hearts first in order for him to do something great in us. Point number two, if you're taking notes, our burden is focused by seeing our great sin. Our burden is focused by seeing our great sin. Let's look at what it says in verse 6 and 7. It says, Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which have commanded your servant Moses. The Bible is pretty clear that the root of all of our global problems, the root of all of our personal problems, is sin. Do you guys agree with that? Sin is probably the root of all of our problems that we face in the world today. Why are there wars, terrorist attacks? Sin. Why is there famine, disease? Sin. Why do people love cats? Sin. Oh. Sorry, I was supposed to keep that one inside. That was, that was read here in my notes for do not say, but I guess I misread that. Why are governments and businesses riddled with greed and corruption? Sin. Why is the mission task of the church not fulfilled? Sin. Why do couples argue and have problems communicating? Sin. Why do kids who grow up in Christian homes rebel against God and their parents? Sin. Whatever the, root, whatever the problem is, you can trace it back to its roots of sin, either from the original sin from Adam and Eve or directly to the sins of the people with the problems. The thing is, if God is going to use us to help alleviate any great need, we need to keep clear in our focus that root is the problem, or that the root of the problem is human sin. So how do we acknowledge the sin in our lives to God? We have to do it with humility. And humility will confess sin openly. Okay, Nehemiah plainly and simply confessed his sin without any attempt and excusing sin. Let me ask you guys, have you guys ever tried to apologize to somebody, but like while you're apologizing to that person, you're kind of making up excuses for that very thing you're apologizing for? I know I've done it. My fiance Hannah is sitting here on the front row and like, you guys can't see her, but she's making the face at me like, that's, that's you. And I am, the, I am the king of it, right? Sometimes I'll apologize and my apologies will sound like, hey, you know, I am so sorry if I hurt you. Or, I'm so sorry, but you know that I cannot control my words when I'm hangry, right? And so when you have apologies like those, it completely defeats the whole point of the apology. You're just making an excuse. Sometimes it can be like that when I walk with God. It's the same thing. Instead of going, hey, Lord, 
if I sinned against you today, I'm sorry. Or sometimes it's, Lord, I'm so sorry I gossiped. But God, you know about Sheila and the accounting department, how she can be. All right, we're just making excuses for our sin. And I've been there. And you guys have been there. And we've all had prayers like that. But I'd like to encourage you with this truth that we can find great freedom and open, honest confession without any attempt and excuse of wondering if I sin or not. We also see this humility in Nehemiah's prayer as he prays that long prayer. We see that he identifies with the needy. All right, we see here that Nehemiah, he's a godly man, but he openly and passionately identifies with his father's house and prayed by using the word we. You see that word in your Bible, we. Underline that word we. Right? He's not saying, oh, they, Lord, they've sinned against you, not me. He's saying we have sinned against you, Lord. Underline that word we. I saw this quote earlier this week that said, you never lighten the load unless first you have felt the pressure in your own soul. You are never used of God. You are never being used of God to bring blessing until God has opened your eyes and made you see things as they are. You guys feel that pressure in your soul sometimes? Is the sin in your life creating pressure on your soul? If it is, God just wants you to humbly confess it to him. Man, when we confess our sins to God, we will have a burden just lifted off. We'll see the, uh, that our burden will now be aligned with God's heart when we are focused on seeing our great sin. Which leads us to point number three today. Our burden is lightened by seeing our great God. Our burden is lightened by seeing our great God. We see here in in Nehemiah 1, it says, Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest parts of the heavens, Yet I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to a place which I have chosen as dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. This is a pretty bold way to come to God, huh? Pretty powerful way. All right, he's asking God to remember his promises. Who are we to ask God to remember his promises? Right? He says, Lord, you made a promise to Moses and to this nation. And so now he's saying, now I ask you, God, to be good on it. And so what we see here is Nehemiah is actually quoting some passages from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. So you can look those up on your own. But there's no doubt that the secret to a great prayer is by pleading the promises of God. Have you guys ever made like an empty promise to somebody, but like you only made that promise to them just to like kind of make them happy like in the moment? I know I've done it before. I'm guilty of it. Anna, I'm guilty of it. You know I'm guilty of it. Earlier this year or last year, 
It was right before football season started. I'm a huge football fan, and uh, I love the New England Patriots, Massachusetts. And so Hannah is a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan, like loves the Philadelphia Eagles. I knew that going into our relationship, and I kind of saw the yellow flag, and I was like, I don't know, she's an Eagles fan, but I love her anyway, so we'll keep dating. But I told them beginning of the football season, I said, Hannah, I said, somehow, by God's grace, I don't know how it's going to happen, it's going to take a miracle. I said, if the Eagles win the Super Bowl, I'll fly up to South Carolina where you're at school, and we'll watch the Super Bowl together. I said that in August sometime. Fast forward to the month of February, the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, and I completely forget about my promise I made to Hannah ate a long time ago. And she goes, but hey, you promised. You said back in August that you watched the Super Bowl with me and the Eagles are in the Super Bowl. And so you bet your bottom dollar I flew on up to South Carolina and saw Hannah and watched that Super Bowl. So proud the Eagles lost in the Super Bowl. Really got a, that was great. Sometimes we can, we can go to God. We say, God, you promised this. God actually delights in that. He wants us to remember his promises. He wants us to go to him with his promises that he gave to us. So we see here in Psalm 81.10, okay, God says this, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God will not open his storehouse until we open our mouths and asking him to perform his promises. So God wants us to feel the burden for others. But then he wants us to roll that burden right back onto him. Remembering that it's not by our power at all, but his power that redeems him. So after hearing all that, How does all that stuff apply to us today? It's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. So verse 11, Nehemiah prays a prayer that is ready to do something. What would it look like if we prayed prayers that were just ready to do something? How would your life change if you prayed prayers of action and not just sideline prayers? When I say sideline prayers, I'm just saying like, all right, God, I pray for this. Like, God, you make it all happen. Like, don't use me at all. I don't want to be involved. I'll just sit on the sideline. I'll watch you play. Man, what if we prayed prayers of action? What would that look like in our lives? An action prayer is, God, use me. So I mentioned earlier that 93.6%, there's a 93.6% increase in anxiety from April 2020 over April 2019 from teenagers from 13 to 18 years old. And what if we prayed, God, use me to impact the lives of our teenagers around me today? I said earlier that millennials, just 20% of them think that church is important. What if we prayed that God, use me, bring a millennial into my life, Lord, help use me to invite them to church and to share the gospel with them? Some of you might be saying this room, or some of you guys might be watching online. You might feel, you might not feel that burden that I'm talking about for God's people. You might not feel it. And for those who don't feel the burden for God's people, I just encourage you, man, maybe it's time to begin to align your heart with God's heart. And the best way for you to align your heart with God's heart is by placing your faith in Jesus, 
the Son of God who was crucified on that cross for our sins, who died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and then rose again three days later. We can have a relationship with Jesus by believing what he did on the cross for us. And so maybe your action prayer for you right now, if you don't believe in Jesus yet, is that you are actively asking Christ into your life right now. Maybe that's your action prayer today. There might be some of you guys in the room right now who are kind of Christian-ish, kind of right on the fence. I believe a lot of it. Maybe I've placed my faith in Christ already, but I haven't really done much about it since. My encouragement to you would be to intentionally look for brokenness around us. See, Nehemiah took a step away from the great, comfortable life he had and inquired about God's people. Maybe that's the next step for you. Maybe you're living a comfortable life. There's nothing wrong with a comfortable life. It's great. God gave it to us. We're thankful. But man, are we inquiring about God's people? Do we care about the hurting and the needs of God's people today? And for those of you who are in the room who are kind of like your, your special forces Christians, your Christians, you're, you're reading the Bible, you're spending time with them, you have a great relationship with him, I'm asking you, what's currently burdening you? Who in your life is God calling you to inquire about? Because if we have our hearts aligned with God, it's hard. We are burdened by the same exact thing he is. So let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for who you are, God. We thank you for the amazing people who are in this room, God. Right now, God, I pray for our weeks, Lord, that we would just sense by your Holy Spirit, God, that you would place a burden on our hearts, God. That's a bold prayer, God. It's a bold action prayer, and sometimes I'm afraid to pray it, God. I just pray right now that you would place in our hearts, Lord, and that you would give us the obedience and the courage to follow those burdens, God. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the beautiful gift of salvation we can have through him. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you would send your son on a cross to die for us. Thank you for us being able to have a beautiful relationship with you, God. Help us remember these truths and apply them to our lives. We pray all this in your name. Amen.